Welcome to The Beauty of Horror, a podcast dedicated to exploring the unsettling beauty found within our favorite genre. Each episode, I usually sit down with a different guest to discuss a horror film they find particularly beautiful and why. However, as you all know now, with the changing of the seasons comes a shift in our focus. For the next few months, we will be diving into the gloop, the goop, the rancid, and all things gross, while taking an uncomfortably close look at the aesthetics of disgust. I'm your host, Chandler Bullock, and my next guest to lead me on this masochistic journey is a horror writer with bylines at Ghouls Magazine, Grimm Magazine, Morbidly Beautiful, and Horror Homeroom. She is one half of the Spinsters of Horror and co-host of I Spit on Your Podcast as part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcast Network. Beautiful greetings to Kelly Gredner. Hello, folks. And hello, Kelly. Nice to have you on. Happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, well, and that gives me joy. Excellent. I'm always happy when people are happy to be here. Uh, Before we dive into this, I'd like to begin my discussion with a quote that, let's just face it, it's probably going to be philosophy because it very much so is today. This is a little bit of heavy material. I'm going to flat out tell people where it's from right now, just so when we get into it later, it's a little more understandable. In a previous episode, I believe that was the one with Heather Wixon, where I talked about possession, I introduced the concept of the abject from Julia Kristeva. This is a quote from her essay, The Powers of Horror, an essay on abjection. So this is a bit of an interesting sub-definition, if you will, that it applied to our film today, it is as follows. While they always relate to corporeal orifices as to so many landmarks, parceling constituting the body's territory, polluting objects fall schematically into two types, excremental and menstrual. Neither tears nor sperm, for instance, although they belong to borders of the body, have any polluting value. Excrement and its equivalents, decay, infection, disease, corpse, etc., stand for the danger to identity that comes from without, the ego threatened by the non-ego, society threatened by its outside, life by death. Menstrual blood, on the contrary, stands for the danger issuing from within the identity, social or sexual. It threatens the relationship between the sexes within a social aggregate and through internalization, the identity of each sex in the face of sexual difference. We're going to get into that here in a bit. But first, Kelly, it is time to ask you the question of all (laughs) questions, which is... How did you get into all this? When, like, how long have you been involved with horror on a fandom level, a participation level, if you will? And how did you turn that into this professional sphere that you've created for yourself now? Well, that is a great, refreshing question. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been a horror fan for over 25 years, and it all started at sleepovers in elementary school where we would, me and all my gal friends would rent about six to eight VHSs from the video store, which I very much miss. And we would pull all-nighters. Also remember those. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, we would watch pretty much predominantly 80s horror movies because this was like early to mid-90s. And then when I became a teenager, watched The Blair Witch Project, Candyman, The Craft, and Scream, pretty much all in theaters. 
And it really solidified my love and interest in horror movies. And I've been devouring them ever since. And then about, you know, three and a half to four years ago, a good friend of about 20 years asked me if I wanted to start a horror podcast with her. Her previous one uh, went defunct due to some creative differences. Mm. And Faculty of Horror, an excellent almost 10-year running podcast, Canadians, by the way, also Canadian (laughs) here, just want to put that out there, Um, was a big influence for her. And she wanted to start a horror podcast that was more about like analysis of themes and and stuff like that for, for horror, which was very new to me. And so looking at things that are from a more somewhat semi-academic or looking at horror movies in a quote-unquote smart way, in a smart viewpoint, was very new. And it's been a really wonderful journey. And I've learned a lot. I can imagine just dipping your toe <laughs> in the stuff sometimes is just latches onto you and you're like, my whole world has changed significantly. <laughs> um, so do you have an academic background yourself or did you learn all this through the podcast? Learn it off of the podcast. I am wow. a veterinary technician, so I nurse animals. So during the day I help animals and when I'm not doing that, which is all very wholesome and sad, um, I watch horror movies and especially the last few years, I've really delved more in to the more like transgressive, really kind of subversive extreme horror films and, and cinema, especially during the pandemic. I'm sure there's a tie in there somehow, something, you know, about a global <laughs> scary pandemic. And I'm watching a lot of like really, you know, intense, hardcore violent movies, um, but which is kind of the reason why the movie we're going to talk about today is one that I watched last year for the first time. So it all kind of comes full circle. Right, right. Okay, so that's very interesting. How did you take (laughs) to a lot of the material that you ended up discussing on the podcast? And like, was it a kind of, did you get some hand-holding guidance or was it more of a interpret this and let's go kind of situation? Um, Well, my co-host, Jessica, she has an academic background. So she actually was taught uh, how to think and I was, I was taught how to memorize things in college and, um, and some problem solving. Um, So it's really just been, you know, her and I bouncing ideas off of each other. And it's, you know, it's, you know, looking back at, some essays or something that I attempted to read that I was interested in maybe five, six years ago, going revisiting them now and actually understanding what they're talking about. Like there is an essay about that pretty much touched on the monstrous feminine and six years mm-hmm. ago, I had no idea what that was. And now I talk about it all the time. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's been really wonderful. You know, I do love my career and my job and everything, but it's not the most uh, mentally challenging, let's say, in certain mm. ways. So it's emotionally taxing and challenging physically, but not okay. necessarily mentally per se. So it's it's been great. I mean, number one, I watch horror movies for entertainment, but mm. I do I have really developed a, an interest in the analysis portion of it. Oh yeah, I mean, if you're diving into extreme horror as kind of your main taster, I suppose that means that challenge, you used that word a few times already, that's something that you must be craving at the moment, uh, (laughs) because these movies, they aren't, like, they're not built to be easy to stomach, for one, but also Mm -hmm. I've noticed a lot of them tend to be a little vague, 
you know, they challenge you to really soak in every little element of it mm-hmm. and try to feel your way through these films. So mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting, right, to go from you know, sleepovers with Scream to <laughs> now you're looking for, you know, the real hard. You're, you're, you know, you've gone from, you know, uh, a Barcardi breezer and now you're deep into scotch, you know. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Just looking for something a little bit more. I mean, I do spend my time watching, you know, some mainstream horror films and more quote normal um, horror movies. But my passion has really turned into the extreme, essentially. So. Uh Mm-hmm. And so what is it about it then that keeps you interested in it? Since I know to, I know that you also write about it. Uh, I believe you have a column for Morbidly Beautiful, if I am recalling correctly. I don't have a column there. I toyed, okay. I played with the idea of it. You know, was, you know, when you learn about something new, and this is my personality anyways, I go 500% into it and then there's nothing else in my life. So it's <laughs> so for me and I'm like, oh yeah, the podcast and I have like a hundred academic, you know, horror books and like I'll just buy everything and devour everything and oh yeah. I kind of go like head first into it and then I don't do anything else with my time. And so, you know, just trying to balance my own life and writing and stuff like that. So, I mean, I don't put out a lot because, you know, Mm -hmm. I know my limits and boundaries and everything. And I'd like to enjoy my free time and watch movies just to watch them. Um, So, no, I don't have a column at Morbidly Beautiful. I've written the odd thing for them. Like recently I put out uh, like the Sinful Six, top six extreme horror films that you can stream right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's Kelly's Taboo Terrors. So that's through Spencer's of Horror. So that's where I've written some things about a variety of different movies, some reviews, some editorials. Uh, the last editorial I did for my own interest through Spencer's of Horror was on what I call cultural extremism. So looking mm-hmm. at extreme horror films from a like from a more cultural context, historical context. So like trauma, Atroz, and a Serbian film. Those are the three movies that I talked about. So that kind of stuff I'm still really interested in doing. Um, just kind of put on hold for the current, my just this aspect of my life. Um, because there is, we're keeping this on the down low, okay. something to be launched probably in June. It's not like a hard launch date but okay i am joining forces with somebody else to <laughs> release a an extreme horror podcast so oh yes is yes it someone is it who i'm thinking it is <laughs> probably probably um, okay. yeah so we're joining forces <laughs> and word. we'll be launching that soon so any writing that i will be doing is just put on hold until i figure out you know that kind of new dynamic in my time mm-hmm. and and everything um but generally speaking there's not a lot of people writing about those types of films and definitely not a lot of, a lot of women writing about those films and i think that you know We need a variety of voices in the horror community, the extreme horror community, you know, everywhere. So noticing that there's a huge void to be filled there with podcasts, YouTube and writing and stuff like that. So that's where my next venture will be alongside I Spin on Your Podcast. Ooh, that sounds extremely yes. exciting. If you extremely exciting, plan. yes, yes. And sorry, you said you also asked me why, and yeah. you know, I've thought about this a lot. And 
And I think it really hit me. I was watching this documentary called Beyond Horror, which is mm-hmm. uh, was done by a good friend of mine, Jesse Seitz, and her partner, Marcus Cook, who are extreme horror fans, filmmakers, special effects artists, like practical effects artists, and multi-talented, wonderful people. And in it was an interview with Stephen Byro, who is the creator of Unearthed Films, a distributor in the U.S. for extreme and exploitation films and stuff. So he said in it, and he's like, so, like eventually over a period of time, some people just want more out of their horror movies. Like I feel like horror is a very subversive genre anyways. It definitely is. And it can challenge your thoughts and your feelings and your identity and how you see the world. But I feel like extreme horror takes it to the next level. And I just really identified with what he said. And I was like, yes, after all this time, after 25 years, I'm just kind of looking for a little bit more. And these are very challenging films and very taboo. Hence why I called it Kelly's Taboo Terrors, because they're they're going to places that even, quote, regular horror films are not. And I'm just really here for that. I want something that's going to challenge me, make me think, show me you know, a different cultural viewpoint. Um, and they give you visceral reactions yeah. and reactions uh, that I'm not really getting from a lot of other horror movies. So just I was just looking for a little something extra and they're definitely extra. They are Ugh. excessive. And I'm just I find them all. I find it all very exciting. Oh, it it's definitely exciting <laughs> stuff. Yes, uh, I this section of my podcast has Mm -hmm. been more of a (laughs) glimpse into the extreme horror side than any other part of my life and i Mm -hmm. i was there when martyrs came out so Mm -hmm. uh but i think that was the movie that made me go like okay well this was enough for now uh and (laughs) fair um, fair yes especially at the time you know i was young uh at the time well starting my 20s and i thought i knew horror and then i hadn't even seen the thing yet and i saw martyrs first i was like oh what is what is uh movies okay yeah so but now yeah a lot of y'all who've been coming on the podcast for disgust have Mm -hmm. really you brought it that's for sure and (laughs) before we get into today's discussion i do want to ask a question that i think a lot of listeners might be quite interested in since i talk to a lot of people who come from different walks of life and got into I'm not going to say like the industry necessarily, but like some sort of professional horror work in different ways. Now, you mentioned that you and Jess were friends for quite some time. And she's like, hey, let's have a podcast together. But how did you get that connection with a publication like Morbidly Beautiful and have such a strong base the way that you have now? Again, coming back to if I'm going to do something, it's going to be 500,000%. So, <laughs> and I have no fears, uh, no social anxiety. I got, I, no fear. Um, whereas my partner, Satan, bless her soul, um, she <laughs> is very afraid of all of these things. So I thought, if I'm going to do this, we're going to do this. Like, we're going to get our name out there. We're going to be known. We are the Spencers of Horror. We, we're not here to fuck around. And, mm-hmm. So I'm, I, you know, pretty much head up the social media. I contact people for interviews, for guests, you know, talk to people, engage with the community a lot. And we have been with Morbidly Beautiful for almost two years now. Oh, nice. Lord. Thinking about timing, pandemic time. It's been like a decade. <laughs> right. um, I think it's going on two years. Um, and I just thought, you know, again, if we want to increase our exposure, get our podcast to more people, a network can definitely help with that. So 
I started a list of all the podcast networks, you know, all the big ones. Unfortunately, we still don't have the quote, the downloads. Right. We don't have that to make it onto, let's say, like Bloody Disgusting or, you know, those types like Fangoria and, and bigger names like that. Um, so looking at something that would be attainable and morbidly beautiful is a wonderful home away from home for us because they've been super, super supportive and I'm sure it's helped in some regard get our show out there to more people, but they're definitely passionate about what we do, which helps us be even more passionate about what we do. So I have no fears on making sure that Jess and I are out there in the community. People know who we are because I think that they should. I think we have some really quality, quality entertainment, I guess you could say. <laughs> like we put a lot of thought and effort into our podcast. It's grown so much in the last, this July, it'll be our fourth year, um, our wow. four year anniversary. So, you know, we've come a long way. We've had a lot of really wonderful opportunities, especially during the pandemic. We've been so busy doing different like festivals and live presentations and guesting on podcasts and Jess is, she's really big into the writing aspect of things. So mm -hmm. her big passion is the writing. And so I'm helping her as well because she's a little bashful. Again, love her, <laughs> but she's bashful and she's sweet and she's shy. So I'm like, hey, I talked to Ghouls Magazine. They'd be interested in your work. She's like, okay, cool. Thanks. Oh. I was like, you know, I'm very supportive. <laughs> I love that you're kind of a pseudo agent for her. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. She's going to listen to this and laugh so much because it's very true. <laughs> uh, that's wonderful, though. That's a really good bond that you have. You need to have that with a co-host and especially an old friend that you, mm -hmm. if you, it really shows that you have each other's back. So if you, you got to use your strengths and it sounds like you're mm -hmm. using yours to the best of your abilities yes. for things. It's been yeah. wonderful to watch. I think the two of you were some of the first people I ever came across because I also started getting involved on Twitter and getting to know people roughly around the when the pandemic started. I mean, mm -hmm, every when everything mm -hmm. shuts down, you go on the internet, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I was like, hey, I haven't really thought about horror in a long time. What's going on there? And very quickly, I went from the just average person of, like I was just chilling out and then seeing like, oh, people who are talking about horror on websites actually have people following them. That's interesting to me. I never thought of journalists as people that yeah. were followed by anybody, you know? Yeah. Like you, you read a review or you hear a podcast and oftentimes you don't even think about who it is, but I was really out of touch with the internet, that was for sure. Mm -hmm. So, and, and y'all's names came up very quick. You've been very kind to me and you're right, Morbidly Beautiful is also one of the first places that gave me a shot, let me write. Uh, it's very unfortunate Great. that I just don't have a lot of writing time. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I'd be doing that still as well. Just like yeah. yourself, pick up a yeah. podcast and you're like, oh, it's it's like a full-time job. So. It's a lot of work, right? <laughs> if you yeah. if you want to put, put out like quality episodes and quality work, which we want to do, which is why we only release episodes once per month. Again, Faculty mm -hmm. of Horror is a massive influence on us um, with uh, how they pretty much how they run their whole everything, you know, their whole enterprise, their empire. And uh, not saying that folks that put out weekly episodes like the horror queers are not quality. I just don't know how they fucking have any time to do any of these things. God love them. Joe lives here in Toronto with me, so I know him. Oh, yeah? Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's great, but, you know, Jess and I just don't have time, you know. we've Again, we've learned our limitations, too, over the last four years. Um, and so... 
this year too, one of our biggest, uh, the uh, biggest idea, especially one that I brought to the table was absolutely streamlining, like focusing on the podcast, making sure we're putting out again, just like high quality, stellar work every single month. And just, you know, thinking about things differently than maybe other podcasts will. And again, me pushing her to pitch to more places and get her writing out there. <laughs> and I mean, I love the writing aspect and like, as much as I love my career, I have, I've had multiple crises of faith with it and it's, it hasn't been as rewarding in a lot of ways than mm. I had hoped after 15 years. And so I'm getting a lot more, well, more rewarding, more validation, just more six quote success through my hobby, which is very odd. Mm. Um, but I'll take it because it's all really fun. I'm learning a lot. It's challenging and it's, I mean, it's good work. It's not like I'm wasting my time. I love what we do. And I've learned a lot about Jess during the last four years, more than I've learned in 20 years about her. And, you know, I truly have helped her convert into a super horror fan. So that's also <laughs> super fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so wonderful if you can convert somebody to your side mm -hmm. of the darkness. Yes, exactly. Right. I knew it was there. She just needed a little nudge. I'm the, right. I'm good for a nudge. Yes. Good for a nudge. <laughs> so I have a difficult question for you then. What would you say in this whole journey for you has been, since you're saying it's a very rewarding pathway that you've been on, what has been one of the most, let's make it a little easier, one of the most rewarding things that you have found has, has happened for you? Um, I think one of our earliest comments about the podcast was, and she's a, she's like a longtime listener. Um, she lives here in the GTA. Um, longtime listener said that, that we've really changed how she views horror movies and got her to look at, you know, classic films in a different way. And, being able to do that for someone, for me, coming from a not at all academic background and doing something more academic and then being able to take what I've learned and, pu and putting it into a podcast and then educating others and helping them change how they view things is kind of wacky to me. So that stays with me. Uh, that stayed with me in the last couple of years. It's, it's really great. And recently, more people have been vocal about their support or at least interest and like just like what they like what we're doing more people are being more out you know outspoken about it and you having a podcast sometimes it's hard to get feedback you don't know if people <sighs> like what you do and yeah i mean if you're putting this much effort some people don't want to do much with their podcast they kind of just want to hang out with their friends and record it and put it out into the world and that's fine again not what i wanted to do for i spit on your podcast i wanted us to be known i wanted our work to be seen and appreciated and valued right mm -hmm. and so seeing relatively recently more people being more verbal i guess you could say about their their interest in what we do and how they like love this episode and this is so great and this and that it's just it's just really wild and it's i mean it's 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 really what we wanted and so it's that's probably been one of the most rewarding things for me that's Wonderful. That is the goal for, I, I'd say, the majority of people who are putting the effort into what they do, especially if you have some semblance of sharing involved mm -hmm. in what you do. Mm -hmm. You just want to know that you're not sharing and making yourself vulnerable for no reason. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or just to be attacked, you know? Yeah. Uh, so for everybody listening, if you follow a lot of podcasts, maybe you're new to listening to podcasts, maybe you're a little bashful, you think that people don't want to hear from you or anything. We totally do. All of us do. 
And as you can hear from Kelly, it just really makes somebody's years, not necessarily mm -hmm. just a day. It really sticks with people. Imagine how you may feel if you were to just be approached by somebody that you admire. Well, to have somebody admire you is, is equally a, a really wild experience. So just say hello from time to time. We, we all appreciate it. Yes. And be related to this podcast, when you were, you put this, you know, social media call out for guests and my name popped up a few times. I was like, what? Quite a few. Really? Yeah. Yes. I was like, oh, oh, why is my name being mentioned? Oh, people want me as a guest. I hope they like what happens. But um, <laughs> that was, again, that was just really surreal for me. And I'm, I'm happy to be coming known as somebody that likes extreme horror. Again, there's, there is a, it is very niche. It's very, yeah, it's very niche and there's not there 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 are women out there that enjoy it, but that's even a smaller group of people. So being known for for somebody that will talk about that and enjoy that um, is also really great. So thank you to the folks that mentioned me. <laughs> oh, yeah, you are a trailblazer in that regard. You and definitely some known individuals that we won't say just in case we're spoiling anything for your projects coming up. <laughs> But, you know, I've seen others that are kept becoming more and more prominent just in the horror realm in general, just on podcasts and stuff. And I'm hearing mm -hmm. from them as well. Like, I'm, I'm kind of trying to get into extreme horror because my friends or the, the people I follow tend to be involved in it. I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. it's got to be Kelly's involved in that, you know. <laughs> uh, we, we run in the same circles. So I know exactly yeah. who they mean when they say, oh, my yeah. friends. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. you're definitely making an influence there and really showing people that although these movies are very intense and extremely difficult to digest that is what makes them special and worthy yes. of interpretation that makes them special i love that you worded it that way they're very special yeah. <laughs> and today's film is probably one of the most special ones i've seen in a long time uh what what film are we talking about today kelly we are talking about the 2012 French-Canadian film Thanatomorphos, yes. written and directed by Eric Faladeau. And he is a French-Canadian, and though I am Canadian, my French is terrible, so I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm happy you took the dive. I had that problem mm -hmm. uh, last week. I was talking with Kat Benstead about Raw, and she jumped in with uh, Dacono's name. I'm like, oh, I can say it now. Somebody else has said it around me. That's awesome. Uh, so I always have it the French name. So thank you. Thank you for, for, uh, taking the, the bullet on that one. Uh, yeah. What a, you, you delivered. I got to say that. Um, <laughs> you know, when I asked for disgust, <laughs> God damn Kelly. Uh, yeah. uh, this is, see, this is making my day right now. <laughs> oh, I bet. Okay, for anybody who hasn't seen it, I do have a synopsis here from IMDb. As you all know, I like to bring it in from IMDb so that we can shame them if it doesn't actually deliver on oh, what the boy. film is about. Mm -hmm. Or if they're kind of close, it's kind of, you know, we'd be impressed and give them a little golf clap, basically. Um, so IMDb has the synopsis for this film as follows. For one, they have to tell you what the word means, which I already think is a fantastic testament to this film that the synopsis has a little definition in there it says uh, thanatomorphose is a hellenic word meaning the visible signs of an organism's decomposition caused by death one day a young and beautiful girl wakes up and finds her flesh rotting that's it yeah she does 
Yes. Fuck yeah, she does. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I have to say when, again, you put the word, the call out for guests and I was looking at the different categories. I was like, oh, disgust. Absolutely. Mm. Oh, I have the perfect movie for this. Well, the, well, the first perfect movie was Dead Girl, but Trace, fucking Trace Trace. Thurman (laughs) from Horror Queers. He is like my podcast spiritual twin. I can't wait to meet him in real life because I will fucking squeeze him to death because he's so funny and weird, (laughs) just like me. Um, so Dead Girl was my initial pick, but of course he already chose it. What a movie. Um, but then of course this is this was definitely my runner-up because it's just it is just full of gloop and goop, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you you delivered on my descriptors from the intro in buckets. Basically, mm-hmm. and I, I, look, I've seen some nasty movies, some gross stuff. Hell, even on the beauty section of it, Mary Beth McAndrews brought in on my first season, uh, phenomena, and we were talking about human soup at the mm-hmm. end of the movie. So that's true. You you talked about excision with uh, Zoe yes. Smith, and that definitely has some gross aspects. Absolutely, exactly. So I'm no stranger <laughs> to it. And I already mentioned I saw Martyrs at a pretty young age as well. So I'm yep. like, okay. I, as soon as I saw the word, I'm like, okay, so it's a foreign word that means, like, death metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. The fuck, I'm going to look up some images. Like, I just need to know, like, <laughs> is this, like, an August underground kind of thing? What am I getting myself into? Uh, and then the, I remember, like, I told a friend about it. They looked it up as well. And they're like, yo. I'm like, I know. Uh, so I saw a couple images. I'm like, I think, okay, we'll be fine. I think, I think we'll be fine. And when we were talking building up to recording today i said i was a little nervous and you're like well you know you know it's not it's not nearly as upsetting as dead girl it's just really gross i'm like but gross is what i was worried about kelly no. <laughs> I, I do oh. upsetting movies <laughs> oh then you had a right to be nervous oh, yes, yes absolutely oh. very valid i i am a very emotive person with gross somatic kind of moments mm. in films and I I have never been as vocal during a film as I have been in this one. I it was rough. Um, (laughs) I'm going to I'm going to start off by saying, though, that I really, really enjoyed it. So to get that out of the way, I enjoyed this movie a hell of a lot. I Mm -hmm. found it fascinating. I was just constantly I was texting with my partner while watching it and just telling her, all my thoughts and all the, 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 these metaphors are clear and that is interesting and this and that and the other. So it was a very rich, engaging film. Mm-hmm. And then it would just like repel me harder than anything possibly could. I'm like, why, why, why you got to do it this way though? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I know, I know why you're doing it, but God damn it. You know, it's like my yeah. whole experience with the film. Yeah. So well done is what I'm trying to say. Excellent. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. And I, this movie is... It's so wonderfully refreshing. It's Canadian, and there's not a lot of, like, really transgressive, extreme horror films in Canada. Um, sometimes I even forget that this is Canadian. What a shameful thing to say. But it's oh. we just don't have tons here, right? Um, and so Eric is... I'll just call him Eric because that's easy to say in English. Um, <laughs> like, we befriended each other on Facebook. He's just a Uh-oh. kind... Man, yeah, we've we've chatted numerous times. Um, and he actually did a lecture for the Miskatonic Horror Society. Oh, geez, that's not the right ter- the right word for it. Anyways, but it's he had a lecture recently on uh, gore and porn, 
and mm-hmm. which was fascinating. Um, and I also got all of the notes because I'm definitely going to be revisiting those concepts in the future, just in general. Um, and so, yeah, he's really lovely and he's really interested in, you know, the body he's into gore and practical effects and porn, like he's into sex and and stuff like that. And he's just a really interesting filmmaker and, and yeah, he's just a lovely man. I love meeting people that make really disgusting things and just see that they're very normal because that's right. such a stigma, I think, for extreme horror fans as well. But like, extreme horror filmmakers that they're going to be a bunch of weirdos. There's definitely some weirdos out there for sure. But uh-huh. generally speaking, they're just normal people and they just like to make really challenging art. Yes, that's that's a perfect description for this particular film. In fact, there are moments here that is like, oh, this is my shit. I would totally make that too. And then there are mm-hmm. other moments where I was like, well, I'm, no, I'm out. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> the artistry, though, in the film, that's what really hit me and made me just enjoy it so much because, yeah, like I said, I was kind of scared it was going to be one of those that's like, oh, budget, who cares budget? We're just trying to make you vomit in a corner mm-hmm. with no semblance of any purpose behind it. But with the the word that you know they use as the title, I mm-hmm. kind of already got a vibe like, there's some philosophy in here. There's mm-hmm. something, something's going to happen. It's going to yeah. be clear. But then it opened and I'm like, oh, maybe not. I mean, she's just walking around. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. if I don't know if anything's. Oh, yeah. No, there's the bruise. I don't know if there's going to be a plot to this movie. And um, mm-hmm. kind of it's. So here's something that I find interesting. Somebody who comes from aesthetics and emotion. That's mainly what I study is, is the philosophy of emotion, I suppose, is. Mm-hmm. The fact that this is a film based on feeling, mm-hmm. that the whole story is how you feel throughout the film and how she feels, because mm-hmm. there isn't too much of a, and then this, and then that, and this means that kind of a narrative, mm-hmm. which is why it works so damn well. The fact mm-hmm. that we stick with this character just in her apartment, mm-hmm. going through this shit. Um, how was it for you the first time you saw it? You said you saw it about a year ago? Yeah, I watched it about a year ago. This movie is on a lot of, like, people bring it up time and time again. If you're on, like, any Discord communities, online, Facebook groups, or whatever, for, like, gore and extreme horror films and practical effects and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I had never seen it. Of course, I was super intrigued because it was Canadian. And finally just, you know, bit the bullet and sat down and watched it. And at first, like, yes, I really liked it. Of course, it it's it, I have become such a massive fan of, like indie underground horror in general, whether extreme or not, low budget horror, because there's so much passion that lies in that. And I saw that in this movie. On first watch, I was like, okay, yeah, no, I'm I'm into this. And even I rewatched it yesterday for today, saw things that I didn't even see previously. And I've watched it a couple of times now. Um, but I also wrote about this movie for Grimm magazine. Um, mm. and I there's a movie that is higher budget and has similar themes and ideas going through. And it's, um, it's called contracted. Right. Came out as similar, uh, in the 2010s. And it is also about a young woman who's very emotional going through some stuff and her after a sexual encounter with an unnamed man Mm. starts to her body starts to go through changes. And she, in that film, she becomes a zombie. Right. And, how are you for spoilers in your podcast? That I don't Oh, we know. do spoilers. So okay, uh, right. what I will say then, okay, so anybody who has not seen the film, <laughs> it's not, 
like last week's film, when we discussed Raw, it is a very simple concept, and therefore the premise you can't really spoil because it's right there on the surface, but there are a lot of little details that make it quite special. So I would advise you to <laughs> try to check it out if you can stomach it. Uh, and if you can't, come on back. But yeah, just be aware, Kelly's going to be talking spoilers in three, two, and go. So the end of Contracted, also spoiler that, but she, the end result is she becomes a zombie. The end result of Thanatomorphose is that she completely disintegrates and dies, right? Yeah. And so it is a, it's not an action-packed movie. It's, it is, it's slow. Um, but the... I never felt like it never feels like it drags. It is a slow decomposition and a slow disintegration, not only of her body, but of her mind and spirit. However, mm-hmm. there is an element, and this is what I wrote about for Grimm magazine, because again, you saw you see this in Contracted, which is a pretty decent film. Um, it's higher budget, a little bit glossier, a little bit more, a uh, little less gross. Like it doesn't, it's not as excessive as the Natomorphos is, but it couldn't be. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, but it's it's got some gross aspects of it. Um, and so when I was comparing both those films and what I really saw after I watched it for the first time is about female rage, sexuality, and liberation through decay, essentially. And that's what I talked mm-hmm. about in this article uh, in Grimm magazine. And it's. Uh, I feel like this movie is actually quite powerful. It's subtle, but also it's not at all. Um, and I think if you take a time to sit with it and go through go through the motions of decomposition with Laura, you will see that this movie does. I think have a lot to say. I saw the female rage and sex, uh, the liberation and empowerment through decay and sexuality um, through this. So. Mm-hmm. Laura, we meet her. You're right. It's all in her apartment. She she's in a bad she's in a bad way. Oh, yeah. She's deep in depression. She's isolated. She's absolutely unhappy with where she's at in life. You can tell she's an artist, but she doesn't really have the motivation to sculpt anymore. She gets that letter of you know she gets rejected from I'm going to assume maybe like a program or a school or something, and everything is terrible. And Antoine, her terrible terrible French Canadian boyfriend who says oh tabernacle multiple times. And I'm just like, I love this. I love French Canadians. <laughs> um, and so, and he's such a, and well, he's the one that has sex with her in the very beginning, which I think maybe, and tell me what you think. Like, I feel like that is the catalyst for everything that happens from the rest of the movie. It's not just that she wakes up, that IMDb synopsis is terrible. (laughs) Of course, it's so, and like, she doesn't Hmm. wake up and she's rotting. She wakes up and she's starting (laughs) the, you don't just start, you don't just, you're not, you don't just rot. You, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a steady, it's like a little slippery slope. You're going, it's not cabin fever. It's not a flesh eating (laughs) virus or something. No, no, it's slow. Like it would be in real life. So my thoughts on the catalyst of it, I suppose, one thing I was actually thinking about at the end of it is I actually didn't feel there was much of one. And I really, for my reading of it, at least in this initial viewing, I kind of dug that because, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. look at a movie like Contracted, like you say, bigger budget. Of course, a studio is going to get involved to be like, yeah, but why did it happen? Yeah. There's a clear reason in that movie that why it happens. Yeah. This is, it's ambiguous. Yeah. 
It's totally ambiguous, uh, but you could find a, a moment that starts it if you, you know, I'm sure it's in there somewhere. And if not, then it's, you know, she has depression. And that, for me, is what hit me the most. I've had pretty mm-hmm. severe depression in the past. I've had mm-hmm. breakdowns. And mm-hmm. so that allegory was just what was hitting yeah. me in the face. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it does feel like you are rotting inside out. Mm-hmm. And yet you get this strange motivation for your passions and life while everything else around you just seems to like be pushed away as you slowly die. That's kind of how it felt for me at least. So I guess I just saw that kind of metaphorical side of it where Mm -hmm. it is like, like with depression, you can just be kind of like, I don't know, I feel nothing today. And then it goes from there. And she even says that multiple times, right? It's like earlier in the film after she appeases Antoine and has sex with him or he has sex with her anyways, um, where she's just like totally vulnerable. And she's just like, Nothing matters. It's all pointless. I don't care. Nobody cares. Like, I don't care anymore. And he's just so absolutely, we already, we can already tell that he is a terrible trash human. Um, But he's like, you you should come to my job to understand what not caring means. And she's like, it's just useless. Like, it doesn't even matter. And he's just like, has no regard for her existence. And I think the reason why I feel like the sex, or at least yeah, that the sex is potentially the catalyst. I mean, because mm-hmm. it opens the film and then we we already, she already has bruising on her and that either could be, we know he's abusive. So is it that? Is it the sex that they have? Is it a combination of both? Is Or is the process already starting? It's already started. Like it, it was already starting before we even got into the movie, you know, in her right. own time prior to cinema. But because his relationship with her is so prominent um i do feel like that is the it was the catalyst maybe i'm not like super convinced that it was but i like i would like to think that it is um or at least their relationship you know where she's very Mm -hmm. isolated and that that aspect of depression is i've never dealt with it but i actually referred to somebody else when i was like okay there's a bunch of these themes i don't really know how to like really parse through it all because I can't relate to any of this. So I got somebody's mm-hmm. help with when I was writing the piece and fully trying to understand what was going on. It was really helpful actually for me to understand Laura as a character, but her depression, her absolute just feeling of being unworthy, undervalued, underappreciated. Like her life is absolutely out of control. Her landlord's like, you can't have parties. Her boyfriend yeah. is like possessive and jealous. Um, can't even like have a party and have other men there. The men in her life kind of what would you see all men in her life? Her landlord, mm-hmm. uh, Julian, which is her friend that have like a little they just seem like they have like a little thing in the kitchen that he's interested in her, but she's with Antoine for for an extent, you know, she's been with him for over a year. Um, they have that little like moment in the kitchen at the party where he's you know starting to feel her up a little bit and she's into it but she's like no can't do this like you know she's with Antoine and this is like a whole thing but uh, she also says for him to stop at first and then he pushes forward and then she just kind of sees if she likes it but she doesn't like sex because she's had nothing but abusive sex and meaningless sex yes so yeah that was one of the more uncomfortable scenes even though it's a very subtle one but yeah yeah, for sure. And you know what? That's that's true. It's like, is she really into it or was it a performance? You know, is it a performative for her? Because she is just feeling so absolutely useless and I'm sure not very sexy and not interested in that really. 
Mm-hmm. But there are times where she does because later on, and this is this is a portion of the I like calling it liberation through decay because everything is terrible in her life. She's not standing up for herself. She's just letting everything just like roll. You know, oh, she's goodness, just yeah. <laughs> on absolute autopilot. She has her breakfast and like we're, we're shown the absolute banality of her life. We don't see anything outside of this apartment. This is where she lives. She takes forever to unpack. You know, she has her breakfast. She goes to work. She comes back. Everything is the same. Nothing changes and everything is awful. And she's obviously not like she's not in her body. She's not present, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you got to be if you're going to enjoy sex. So there is an aspect later on in the film, like later in her decomposition, where she still has sexual desire. And I don't know. I've ha- I've I've read some things that it is it's a fantasy. She's fantasizing about killing Antoine. And that's why Hmm. she's like really sexually excited. And, you know, she's masturbating on her decaying body. In my mind, I like to feel like she actually does kill him because I want her to. That's what I saw. Yeah, (laughs) I took it as it just being like two different parts of the timeline kind of superimposed. So you have it feel at first as if she's just masturbating and like, oh, okay. So I guess you get off him slowly dying. Uh, And Mm. then you see uh, at the same time parallel to that. They even do some split screens to show the altercation that she has with Antoine. I would like to see it as well for being like, I suddenly feel pretty okay. (laughs) Yeah, she's feeling okay because she starts to stand up for herself, right? Yeah. Julian comes by and, you know, he is terrible because he's like at first you're like oh you seem to be like a nice man because you're Mm -hmm. you're worried like no you this is awful like you look terrible we have to get you to the hospital and she's and she's more just like i know what you want but he's like repelled and repulsed by her but still will Mm -hmm. take that gladly take that blowjob she's offering and then leave yeah it's with her head like like oozing blood all over his hand the whole time and he's looking kind of concerned but he's like but you know Blowjob's blowjob is kind of how this yep. guy's acting. I'm like, what the fuck is yep. wrong with you? I was just screaming at the screen this whole time. Yes. And then he just zips up and leaves. And yep. that was, yep. I felt so bad for her. Like she's been so, so I know we jumped ahead a little bit and that's fine. We yeah. don't do like a play by play, but uh, just like, uh, so everybody understands that's like, you know, throughout the entire film up until this point, She's been so blasé and, and non-emotive about most things other than pain, basically. And yeah. so for her to just lie there crying after he leaves, it just shows how she was trying to have an intimate moment with somebody while she was yeah. feeling very undesirable. Yeah. And then yeah. he got his fix and left. And she, I guess, like, it was really nice to see that there's some semblance of her kind of hoping that he'd take her to the hospital. But then she, that was the moment that at least it felt for me that she just felt like, well, I guess this is it now. I'm just going to do yeah. it. I'm just going to decay and live here. Yeah. And, you know, part of me is just like, girl, this is not normal. Like she starts, <laughs> no. you know, like she's absolutely like the bruising, but it's pooling of blood. Because that's what happens to, happens to corpses. The pooling of the blood, like your fingernails are coming off. You're pissing blood. Like you're vomiting up what looks like maggots. Like there's a lot going on here that is not normal. And she feels awful, obviously. So why don't you take yourself to the doctor? But she's so isolated. And I feel like she's so, she has spiraled, 
you know, and she's just going to further isolate herself. And and again, I haven't dealt with depression. I don't know how it feels to be in such a state of feeling so deeply unworthy of anything. But that's I think that's the only way to just to understand why she doesn't seek help for herself, because why would she bother? Why wouldn't nobody cares? Right. So let's just she can take care of herself, she says. So she'll just take care of herself by herself. Exactly. Yeah. I wanted to chime in on that because mm-hmm. I, with my firsthand experience on that, I remember, mm-hmm. so uh, around the time that I was about to start my divorce was very tumultuous. I was also starting my master's thesis, which I still have not finished due to trauma. Hooray. Mm-hmm. And I also just had a lot of like betrayal at the time, telling people about my private life, then betraying that and telling other people. And it just felt like none of it really mattered anymore Mm -hmm. and you go through a phase where it starts with you kind of trying to do normal things you just want to have a normal life but you feel like you have no gas in the tank while you're doing it right yeah you're lying to everybody constantly everybody knows that you're lying about it and that's where she was at the beginning of the film where she's in this abusive relationship she's hanging out with her friends but you see she doesn't say anything she just kind of lets them talk yeah. Um, she only has failures to talk about. She hasn't finished the sculpture. She hasn't really heard back about that grant. Yeah. Her boyfriend's just saying shit to people like, well, I don't care if your dog died. It's just a goddamn dog. Who cares? And she's yeah. kind of having to be like, yep, this is the guy I have in my house all the time. Yep. And then you, like you mentioned, the dickhead lawyer, uh, lawyer, uh, landlord. And mm-hmm. so with depression, I found it was just this, it, you know, they, they often talk about it in terms of like, okay, like a deep, dark hole. Mm-hmm. In a way, yes, but I would say it's apt if you really think of like ground hole because you do have the dirt and the mud and the water and the sticks and the scrapes on your body and all of that. If you were to fall in a hole like that, that's kind of how depression was for me, at least. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I can only talk about my own experiences. Mm-hmm. It was like I just succumbed to the situation that I was in. I was going to be depressed. I was going to stay in my bed. I was going to cry a lot. And then I was maybe going to watch a movie and go to sleep. Sleep is kind of the only thing you really long for. If you have things that you have to do, like go to work and stuff, you do it. You don't really talk to people. You go home. I had my current partner and I got together around that time as well. We had a lot of trouble. She was trying really hard to figure out how the hell do I make this person who I knew quite lively before to get out of this, which... Mm -hmm. Support is really the only thing you can do at that point. It's just whatever the person's saying, you just kind of have to be like, I hate that for you. (laughs) There's not much more you can do, which is all she's looking for. I saw that so much in this film of her just Mm -hmm. looking for somebody to go, are you okay? And Mm -hmm. mean it. That's Mm -hmm. all she needed because she wasn't Without an agenda. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Be there for her because you can't be there for yourself. You hate yourself. You hate everything about your life, your body. I love how she has mirrors in every single room and she checks herself like 10 times before she leaves the house. Mm-hmm. That shows anxiety. That shows a bit of trauma. People probably make comments about her looks. Mm-hmm. I am always looking in the mirror and hating myself. There's probably some you know, semblance of you know, dysmorphia or something there as well mm-hmm. that we're seeing in the film. Mm-hmm. And going through all of that, it, it does really make you not take care of yourself. Yeah. I yeah. stopped eating. 
I didn't really want to bathe, but I had a partner at the very least who yeah. lovingly was like, please take a shower just for you. Not because I feel that you are disgusting because yeah. you could get sick. Stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But if I hadn't had that, I probably just would have wasted away and lived my little life eating chips and not yeah. really trying to cook any food, anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, it took years. It takes, it, it feels like a lifetime. It kind of, it kind of is because you become a different person if you can kind of crawl out of it. The memories, of course, are still there. The feelings pop up every now and then. It's like an old friend that you're like, ah, oh, you bastard, <laughs> when they show up. <laughs> but you share war stories with that bastard, you know what I mean? Because yeah. um, you can overcome it. it. It's something that you now share that experience, you and the depression. But it was, uh, yeah, it's a very tumultuous experience that I would say this film, the excess, you know, that extremity that we feel of watching mm -hmm. these things, that recoil is kind of how you feel people treat you when you have depression as well. Mm, that mm -hmm. because you're not really getting on and you're, you're drooped, you're not standing up straight, yeah. you're not talking loud, yeah. they just kind of yeah. act like you're a hobo and they don't want to yeah. be around you. Yeah, you're such a downer. Stop being such a downer all the time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 So emotionally, I have to say, like, this really hit me on... Uh, fortunately, I was okay. But it just reminded me a lot of those. I'm like, I totally get this. Uh, and yeah. then, of course, I was like, uh, uh, some of the things that were on yeah. screen. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just wanted to get on that, too, because you're right. Like, watching her kind of drift like a wraith, like a zombie, yeah. just kind of going like, I guess I'll just, oh, my God, I'll, I guess I'll just Band-Aid my fingernails back on. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the weird thing about it, I will say, is despite that feeling, that sounds pretty taxing, right? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, so it's hard to imagine if you have any energy of any kind, and physically you probably don't, but there is this drive if you have just a semblance of desire to do those passions. If you have those passions that are in the back of your head, I, I found it very odd how it did empower me to push out toxic people in my life. It empowered mm -hmm. me to look at who wasn't taking care of me and who was just mm -hmm. chastising me for having an emotion. Yeah, and yeah. that's where I see her the most is yep. when she's killing yeah. Antoine and stuff. Yep, kills Antoine, kills Julian, the men yeah. that continuously just want things from her, which is essentially just sex. You know, her in life, women are are we're meant to sacrifice everything for others: our time, our energy, our especially our bodies. And right. there's such a really, really poignant moment in the film. Um, and I even saw a little extra bit of it this time around where as like her fingers falling off, her ear falls off. She starts keeping everything in jars and she's yeah. labeling it, the date and what it is. She's also taking photographs of these things. So as, yeah, as her body starts falling apart, her fingers, her toes, her ears, she, yeah, she keeps them in labeled jars and like the date, what it is. She takes photos of them. Kind of as I felt like I read it as an, a reminder that she's once a human being and something that other people have forgotten. And she takes these photos to prove that she had once existed because she knows mm. I know that she knows that the end game here, she's not going to survive this. Of course, there's no yeah. way you can. And I found that part of it very, very poignant. It also reminded me of, funnily enough, another film we covered recently, uh, The Fly. Because you mm. have uh, when mm -hmm. Seth Brundle, Jeff Goldblum, is in yeah. his kind of medium points where the extremities on his body are starting to fall off, like his ears and stuff. Yeah. He puts yeah. all of them in his medicine cabinet and calls it the Brundle 
museum, like like I think right. like Smithsonian Museum or something like that. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's just memories of who you used to be as well, because he's going yes. to transcend to something else. And in her case, yes. she either knows where is. she's going or yep. is going to be something new. And yep. I, I loved watching her document these things and putting mm-hmm. little jars together with, uh, was it like vodka she, that, he, that she kind of used yep. to keep it preserved? Yep. <laughs> Alcohol. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 And it even, and that kind of even extends to, because she has a couple of dream sequences uh, in that, that are in, there's dream sequences in this movie and she has a couple of dreams. And one of them, again, very poignant. And I really, again, notice it this time. So She's being cut up and this person is surgeon, a doctor is all masked up, you know, the mask and the gown and the gloves and everything, perhaps more of an autopsy. Maybe he's a coroner, but starts taking her apart, like, again, piece by piece and feeding it to what looks like these feral men. And it's Antoine and Julian, right? And so we women, we are not alive unless we're being taken apart kind of piece by piece to be given to others predominantly men and that's what we see in this movie and coming back to the the liberation through decay is she has these anxieties she knows this is what's happening she feels useless i mean anton calls her a whore later on and then when julian rejects her when she's very later stage in decomposition she's like yeah i'm I'm just a whore like this is all that i am to all of you people and it's yeah it was just very very striking of uh, a couple of scenes and very relatable as a woman. So it's, Mm. it was, there's, there's nothing in this movie that doesn't have meaning or a place for it. There's, and what's wonderful about these types of films and this one in particular, that it takes that metaphor of, you know, this, her emotional death corresponds with her physical death and taking it to such extreme or excessive measures and that's what I love about these films, because we play with these metaphors, we play with these themes, and we take them to such great lengths that it seems like, oh, this is now shocking and gory for the sake of doing it. And it's like, no, underneath it all, there is some heart. There is mm-hmm. a story. There is some pain. There's feelings and emotions here. And, and you definitely see it in this movie. Yeah, ultimately, this is a very humanistic film. I felt that the moments where it lingers on the more disgusting elements was where some of the most beautiful and poignant moments of the film took place. Uh, I think one of my favorite shots of the film was around the end when she goes to take a bath. That's right before she goes out. I think it's right before Julian shows up and then she kills Mm him. And she has her hand on the side of the tub. And they yeah. linger and they get real super close, like a macro lens right there yeah. on her hand. And you see this black sludge that her, yeah. you know, handprint is becoming. And she lifts up. You just see it kind of like stick to the yeah. side of the surface. And it really felt poetic. It didn't feel just like, Ugh. I mean, it was horrible, but it was more like we've already been through worse in the film at this point. And that shot was framed in such a way it really showcase that feeling of you leave a piece of you behind in your spaces you you know your Mm -hmm. body Mm -hmm. it was that was where for me that poetry of the decay and the body was putting being put in a more almost gentle kind of light maybe because it was an intimate moment you know she's in the tub she's trying to relax for a moment I don't know how you can in that situation but uh she manages her ice baths wow yeah yeah (laughs) I mean, her nerves must have been dead at the, at this point. 
Yeah, they're probably super sensitive at first and then now they're mm-hmm. they're dead. You're right. But I mean, she yeah. does make a point to make it cold, so maybe it's trying to feel something. She could have gone the other direction, made it super hot. I think it's also to preserve the skin because, you know, you, your skin mm. and stuff, it does contract when it gets cold. So that makes sense. Just... I'm a science person. I should have known that. Yeah. You're right. That makes sense. That makes sense completely. Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot there, Kelly. <laughs> what a dum-dum. Yes. Oh. No, that makes absolute sense. It's, it's, it's helping to preserve whatever life and body she has right. left. Absolutely. Because, I mean, she's trying to keep her body together by stitches and duct tape, but it keeps failing because once you start dying, once your body is starting its process, it's hard to stop it. So, yeah. yeah. So one of the things that you had said early that really struck me was, because you said it a couple times, which was, we're not really alive until we're dying or dead. And mm-hmm. yeah, that that resonates a lot with me in this film. It, it's if you use this allegory of depression on the forefront, mm-hmm. it feels a lot like you've already died. Yeah, because your social status has already gone away. Your care for yourself has already gone away. You have already mourned the loss of you. You are a new person at the end of this. You've already been yeah. You are fertilizer in this part. You know what I mean? You are the yeah. shit in the ground. Mm-hmm. And nobody recognizes it. And unfortunately, nobody's sprinkling water on you to make you turn into a new tree. Mm-hmm. You were just shit in the ground, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So I found that such a great turn of phrase. And I do find that in this film quite heavily, how the reason she becomes so empowered, like the mere fact that she's trying, right? That she's sewing parts of herself back on even though Mm -hmm. by the end of the film we see the needles just going through just sludge and bone it's not doing anything anymore yeah her resilience i felt was less that fear of falling apart and more this empowerment to still be it's like she found new life in the fact that her body was decaying but she already had a weird relationship with her body to begin with because it wasn't hers it was somebody else's all the time Mm -hmm. So I guess mm-hmm. it was the, the decay of this body was mm-hmm. liberating just for the mere fact that that thing that was enslaved and owned by others is finally dying and letting her go. Such a beautiful uh, image there. And yeah. I, I really love that. You, like That's yeah. what your little quote, or at least that your term, yes. has inspired in my brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad. And that kind of gives brings me to um, abjection. Hey, here we are. Hey, Julia Kristeva. So her Julia. Yeah, yeah. Her (laughs) quote in the beginning, fantastic. But you know, we're also talking about disgust, right? So this movie is they use actual maggots. I'm I always get Mm. like my pet peeve in horror movies is when they use mealworms as maggots. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, those are not maggots. That's a different larva. Okay, that is somebody else. Um, that's a mealworm. And not maggots. So they use actual maggots, which is great. Um, but it just brings in authenticity to it. Um, but it adds into the disgust. But yes, the abject. This movie definitely is about breaking bodily boundaries, right? It's absolutely repulsive. It is disgusting. And definitely we see, you know, the... well. 
the cadaver, the corpse is the ultimate form of objection, right? The Mm -hmm. absolute most sickening thing that you can think of. Your body starts sloughing off the bacteria. As soon as you die, the bacteria that is in your body, in your intestines, flourish. They have a great time. And everything starts, you know, being broken down from the inside out. So there's going to be bodily fluids coming out from every orifice. You get bloated. It's The corpse is disgusting, as it should be. And in this movie, we see urine, feces, vomit, mm. maggots, Ugh. the sloughing of skin on the side of the tub or in her feet this the practical effects are so fantastic at it it is very so wonderful very very well done but coming back to what you said and what i was i was talking about and what we were saying about you know we are only alive once we're dead type of thing. But there is a really wonderful short quote from the powers of horror essay, which is, I don't expel. I am expelled. There you go. Yep. Right. And so mm-hmm. your, yourself is released through objection. And we see this absolutely in this movie. Oh yeah. Uh, so Let's talk about objection just a little bit for those who aren't. It's a complicated, layered term. Um, but yeah, it is this state of... I don't know, it's not a state of being or conscious. I guess it's a, it's a thought process or a, a just a term to describe being so anterior, so other through the body and through your existence that you are, you're just so... The you're you're just yeah you're repulsive I guess is the best word I can think of it's 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 a very mm-hmm. vague hazy kind of space to, yeah. to think about and be in and in Christopher's perspective or at least from her usage of it, it she's trying mm-hmm. to make something extreme the the most extreme of the extremes to so, so people can really understand if she says something is being it's abject to really feel this kind of gut punch <laughs> when she's using this term mm-hmm. and what a perfect film to encapsulate the feeling of abjection because we have it on that physical level as you say the corpse is the Mm -hmm. apex of this but she also goes into you know Mm -hmm. it's a a feminist term so she goes a lot into female uh your bodily production and, and processes that tend to make men really uncomfortable and how it in society has been very mm-hmm. abject to them. It's the same response that we would have to things that are more natural to be repelled by. Um, I'd love to hear your kind of explanation of it as well, kind of tag team on that, because I know I'm, I'm, I'm barely scratching the surface here in this. Mm-hmm. It's an excellent essay. Have I read all of it? To be honest, no. It's um, long. It is, and it, it, it's her... Her writing style is, it's almost more like prose, you know? So, um, and it's, it's beautiful and I do want to sit down with it again, but mainly picked, uh, the first bit and like several different sections of it. There's like an aspect about food loathing, which we, uh, Jess and I actually talked about in our latest episode on, um, for women in horror month, but, um, they do have, um, one section called from filth to defilement. And essentially it's about confronting the feminine because in this, you know, uh, Barbara Creed in the monstrous feminine book, um, another like seminal text, if you want to learn anything about 
um, like dissecting hor- horrific themes, but particularly mm-hmm. from like a female lens, because um, all of it comes down to our bodies and our. The monstrous feminine is more about like our reproductive system. The the abject is more just generally about our actual bodies because there's so yep. much that our bodies do that is quote disgusting and inappropriate. I'll say inappropriate. Mm, that's a great um, word for it. Yes. Yes, inappropriate and things you should not talk about and we should not see. Like there is a moment in. In this film where, again, I didn't even notice it on like two watches, um, where she's in so much discomfort, but her body is just losing all control that she's trying to go to the bathroom and she stands there and she just urinates on herself and she also defecates all over herself. And we just see all of that. And I had not even noticed that on on previous watches, but she, (laughs) her body has lost all control. Yeah. Right? It's dis- objections about disturbing order, sis- uh, systems, identity. Doesn't res- Objection doesn't respect these borders, does not respect these boundaries. And we see this breaking throughout this entire movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And uh, you can see it if you want to see it in a very clear cut kind of way. It's the fact. So here. Yeah, here we go. So since it's a very complex thing to talk about, because we were saying that essay is probably like 50 pages. Very long. Yes. So yes. to distill it into a feeling, and this is why I love these sorts of discussions, because if you can really see it in film, it kind of encapsulates the feeling of the whole essay quite well, is it's not just the excrement. It's not just the bodily decay. These things are integral to her formulation, but it is the mm-hmm. fact that Laura lives in this squalor and yeah. thrives within it to destroy the societal bounds and, and bindings that yep. she has on yep. her by the end of the film. And she's quite at peace with her decayed body by the end. That would make her an abject being in the truest sense, because it's, you know, that moment of her defecating on herself is a very tragic moment in the film. And then it just stays. And she just lives this way now. She doesn't yep. care. And that's yes. where we're like, ugh. That's where our skin yeah. starts to crawl the most. It's like, girl. Like you were saying, yeah. girl, you this is not normal. Yes. You know? yeah. That's the stuff. Those feelings, I would say, fall more into it. Especially when yeah. we see Antoine and Julian respond to her. Is where we're seeing the abject at play the most. Yeah. She's absolutely res- repulsive. Especially when we get c- closer to the end when she is barely even human anymore and julian she's like julian come fuck me and he's like nope <laughs> no I'm at good. least it's nice to know that julian yeah i'm good nice to know that he has his limits but it's not like, dead girl <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, lord that movie yeah exactly right so these he at least has his limitations on it but uh <laughs> yes yeah, so they're just like no this is absolutely repulsive the stench in here, the fact that you're living this way, look at what you've mm-hmm. allowed to happen to your body. You've done nothing about it. And you are, well, she's thriving. She's masturbating. She's just going about her life. She starts sculpting again and, you know, putting on pieces of her sloughed off skin. And during this watch, I was like, is this a self-portrait that she's putting together right now? It looked like it. She puts right? her own skin on it. Yep. Yep. Fingernails go into it, whether that was uh, intentional or not. Ugh. But she at least starts making art again. Yeah. You know, it's grotesque. Like she is becoming 
And that's how she feels. But at least now she can own up to it, I guess, you know? Mm-hmm. And that I, that's the most empowering part of it to me. It's a weird thing. Maybe this is just... I'm curious to your feelings on this or if I'm about to sound like a really strange weirdo. But um, <laughs> I have always been on that side of the othering my mm-hmm. pretty much my whole life. So mm-hmm. when I see something like this, it was oddly just kind of heartwarming at a certain point to see her like, I'm going to start sculpting again and mm-hmm. I'm going to just be this new version of me. Mm-hmm. And the coolest thing about abjection is, although all of this is dark and horrible, if you use all, if you just look at the terminology that Christopher is using, but mm-hmm. if you look at the point that she is making, mm-hmm. she's not necessarily saying that that which is considered abject should be considered abject. She's just yeah. really trying to put a lens on stuff to make you kind of go like, but those are normal things. She's yes. like, mm, oh, oh, you tell me that, huh? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you kind of feel like, oh, you know what? I'd rather be abject. Yeah. That, at least that's how I get sometimes. I just have a whole, like, I don't really want to live in a world where I have to not like these things about myself. Yep. Or yeah. I should be repulsed by myself. And no, I yeah. will not be. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Um, there's a couple of other people that kind of talk about, and I've I've read about the... Uh, previously for previous pieces and movies that I was analyzing. But Makita Brotman, who wrote Offensive Films Toward an Anthropology of Cinema Vomitif, who defined Cinema Vomitif, that these are the films that want to arouse strong sensations in the lower body, nausea, repulsion, weakness, faintness, and a loosening of the bowel or bladder control, normally by way of graphic scenes featuring the byproducts of bodily detritus, vomit, excrement, viscera, brain tissue, and so on. And that's kind of what a lot of these extreme and transgressive films do, especially this one. Absolutely. They rely heavily on our sight and our sound to produce very physical, visceral reactions. And there was uh, another... It was in the the summary. I you can buy this from Amazon, but literally nowhere else, and it's very expensive. Hmm. And I'm just like, this is on my wish list now because I really want to. I really want to read the whole thing. I've only been able to grab like small sections of it online. But she also discusses how these movies are very appealing, right? We like to watch it. You know, we'll challenge ourselves. We want that kind of. I like that challenge, right? Is it? Is it going to challenge my gag reflex? It's very strong. There's a few things that actually get me to to gag, but they were talking about that we do have this fascination with flesh and with death, and it tells us a lot about the human condition and how we kind of view our mortality and perceived immortality, that we're indestructible, but we're really not. Anything can happen, and we are either dead or something's happened to us, bodily, you know, dysfunction or bodily harm. And it's, it's again, one of the many reasons why I love these movies. They make it challenge us to, uh, to look at ourselves, our bodily selves, in, in a whole new light. Yeah, because no matter what, and as difficult of a thing as this is going to be to say. So I, apologies, this could, a little trigger warning, I'm going to say something that's a bit dark about existence, if you will. It's just that, mm-hmm. like it or not, your body's going to fail you. And it's going to be yep. the thing that goes away. Whether, we, we don't know about the consciousness, that's why we have theories on it. Um, whatever happens, you know, you'll find out. 
but you know that death is an inevitability, and there is some sort of odd peace to be had with accepting that, because then the time that you have corporally, you can make mm -hmm. the best use of. Mm -hmm. Which is what she was doing. She knew, like, I probably have about a week, and I'm going to sculpt yeah. this goddamn sculpture, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yep. It's very interesting to see that. Yep. These movies, like, we feel them. Like, I can smell that movie. Oh, yeah. I can feel that yeah. movie. They really, it just really gets under your skin, right? They can shake us to the core. They can make us gag. It's just make us look away. It's, um, you know, but we we can't look away from Laura's uh, experience. We're, we're mm -hmm. there in that room with her this whole time. We do not leave this apartment. She doesn't leave. She barely leaves the apartment. Definitely once things start falling apart. And we're there. We're there with her. And we're so physically disgusted by film sometimes. Again, coming back to the disgust. There's an, another a, a pretty decent article that I read by Julian Hanich. Uh, it's called Disliking Disgust, the Revulsion Experience at the Movies. So we can be so physically revolted or disgusted by a film that our body pulls itself so far away from it that it actually turns inside out, meaning that we vomit. And a quote from yes. the article is, the ultimate breaking out of the lived body, the promises that promises the relief of bodily expansion and distance, which I think also brings us all back to objection. Absolutely. We're break, trying to, they're breaking, we're breaking out of our own body by vomiting, you know? Yes. Uh, so fun fact, not to, to, to boast too much, but uh, so Julian Hanich was actually my teacher for Whoa. film studies and uh, he's oh, the reason shit. I have this podcast because he's my supervisor for my master's thesis oh uh, yeah great so oh my god <laughs> I have not read that specific article but I have read his book about fear and uh, okay. you know, emotional distress and so for anybody who just heard that quote and enjoyed it please check out his work phenomenal <laughs> scholar and what you were just hearing is just a little bit of education there. Uh, it's a phenomenology. It's a study of our lived experiences. So it's kind of like yeah. a scientific approach to yeah. philosophical and psychological discourses. Yeah. It was, yeah. It's fascinating stuff. And yeah, he's really big on looking at our bodily relation to the world that mm -hmm. we're in and how it affects our consciousness. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. But, uh, it's super cool to hear somebody citing him like that. Um, yes. So shout out, yeah. Dr. Hanish. I hope you're listening to the podcast. <laughs> it, it's a it's a good article. Not all of it was like super relevant to what like I've written about before, but there were some aspects that was. But you're right that lived experience of going to the movies and watching these types of films because it mm -hmm. is a bodily interactive immersive experience. And Thanatomorphose is definitely one of those. It's you're going to feel something throughout this movie, whether it is, it's probably going to be disgust and revulsion, but maybe <laughs> sadness or, you yeah. know, you relate to it or something, but you're definitely going to come out of this movie with some, some kind of powerful emotion or feeling, which is usually exactly. what body horror can do to you. So, oh, I mean, cinema by its very nature, I'm sure Dr. Mm -hmm. Hanish would, would agree with that, is <laughs> a very bodily experience. It's designed to make yeah. us have those responses, even just on the basis of your pupils dilating in excitement. Yeah. And then, you yeah. know, yeah, in this case, we're talking about the most extreme on the surface emotions. As I've mentioned in a couple of episodes recently, uh, a lot of discourse on disgust uh, especially philosophically, the, like in the mm -hmm. Enlightenment era, they were very down on it as an aesthetic form and an experience, you know, an emotional mm -hmm. experience, 
probably because they didn't really know how to deal with it because of all yeah. the ones that you can have. It's the only one that's always real when you're having it because it can't be yes. mediated. I mentioned this with the previous episode. Mm-hmm. And a movie like this is designed to put you into a position that you probably would have never wanted to consider. And kind of like the work of Christopher makes you consider concepts and thoughts that are so useful for you to actually sit down and think about sometimes. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you kind of have to have somebody shake you and shout at you and throw some muck in your face Mm -hmm. for it to happen. Uh, I found this a very powerful film. Mm -hmm. And I feel that that emotional core that we were talking about, the allegory for depression, but also female rage, all of Mm -hmm. this ownership of the body, it really needed this extremity to it, Mm -hmm. in my view, to really... Like you say, there are other movies that do it, and I feel that this one, if you can really get over don't watch it like a popcorn saturday night flick that you're just watching a movie because you're just going to go and not really pay attention really sit down watch it and go what emotions am i having right now Mm -hmm. and i think the journey that you're going to go through as a viewer is going to be something that you are going to hold on to for quite a long time if not forever Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> well put. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for bringing this movie to my attention. It's one that I'm going to be looking for more often, I think. I don't know how often I'm going to watch it, uh, but I definitely will be thinking about it for a very long time. And uh, one last like concept I kind of wanted to touch upon just to, for, for a little clarification as well is we were talking about the, you know, the stripping away of oneself mm-hmm. and how in, in extreme horror, you know, you do have the body being the target of this. And of course, in these philosophical concepts that the body is the core of it all. Christopher also talks about how this is abject because it attacks the ego. And I don't want to get into psychoanalysis mm-hmm. too much because that's mm-hmm. a whole can of worms. Mm-hmm. But I, so I'm not going to talk about the ego in, in the terminological sense, but I'm more, let's talk about it in the colloquial sense. So, we don't really take kindly to anything or anyone that makes us feel like we're being egotistical and a little up in ourselves. This movie is the one, I feel, <laughs> that takes such great shots at that sort of mindset because you have a character who in this whole moment is thriving because she's already destroyed her ego a long, long time ago. Right. Yeah, I would agree. Sorry, I don't have too much to (laughs) to throw in and add to that. Um, Yeah, she's, you know, when I was comparing this movie with Contracted, you know, in Contracted, the woman turns into a zombie, which, of course, it's is no ego whatsoever. And we're just in. Mm -hmm. We're driven purely by instinct. Zombies are, generally speaking. Um, Yeah, and this one, absolutely not. I feel like she's driven by pure... Emotion, if that makes sense. Yeah, like humanity, Agency. I guess. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. But put it, yeah, yes. 
<laughs> Happy you agree. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, but I am right there with you. It's like she's been stripped of the ego a long time, and then she's now just... It's a weird thing to see. She's just kind of living her life the way that she feels she can, given the circumstances that she's been given, which is kind of the best way to live your life. It's a strange, optimistic film. I don't know. Mm, mm-hmm, Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you can definitely see that. I mean, there's so many things that are out of our control in our lives, and she sees mm-hmm. this, too. Like, it's not... Um, there's things that she can control and that she can't. You know, getting into an art school is not under her control Mm-mm. definitely um you know i think she's a nurse or something she wears scrubs to to go to work but yeah. um you know so many things are not under, at, not under her control her bodily decay is also not necessarily under con- her control but for whatever reason she embraces it completely maybe it's because it pushes people away and so they don't bother her anymore. They're not asking for her anymore. You know, you just even think back to her answering machine and it's really just Julian and Antoine leaving messages. Where are those female friends that came over to her party? There's Mm. nobody else leaving her messages. You don't hear work or the landlord. Somebody would be complaining about that smell, but (laughs) (laughs) nobody does for some reason. I mean, there's some banging on the door sometimes that she doesn't go to the door to answer, but um, yeah, she just fully embraces what's happening. Yeah, it takes some time, and I guess where I'm seeing this, so anybody's wondering, like, where the hell is he getting this from? It's just how, like, at the beginning, she's so busy with her body. I mean, we see her naked through most of the film. It's mm-hmm. all a lot of exposing her body to us. Yep. She's looking at herself in the mirror constantly, checking if her shirt's okay. Mm-hmm. And then as she's decaying, I mean, the first, I'd say, half hour of all of this going on is mm-hmm. her just doing a very logical thing of going in the mirror, going, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Mm-hmm. Until I guess that ice bath, that's when she really is like, okay, I am decaying mm-hmm. and I need to do something about it. And then she starts sculpting. And from that moment on, she's just walking around, letting bits of her fall yep. off. And then she starts jarring it up and like, man, yep. another day, yep. another decay. Wow. Yep. <laughs> Clapping on that one. Yep. Another, another day. I wish I did decay. subtitles because that's what it would be. <laughs> Oh my god, name of this episode. <laughs> oh, I wish. I wish I did it. Uh, it'll be a tweet, I think, then. <laughs> um, yes, please. Yes, okay. no, it should be. <laughs> For sure, I'll put it in all caps. Yes. <laughs> well, there's even one, at one point when things, in the early stages, where she even tries to p- apply makeup to hide what's going oh, on, but uh, so ab- that obviously fails, and she screams and destroys the mirror, and she eventually does start covering all the mirrors. Yeah. But she does eventually uncover them, and that's when it got mm. kind of empowering for me is that there are moments right. that she's looking in the mirror, not because she needed to, like, check how she was doing, but as more as kind of like, should I peel that off? It's getting in my way. Kind of very yeah. practical use of a mirror. Yeah. But you're right. For a big portion of it, she does cover them because, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to, you know, be confronted yeah. with that either. Yeah, 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 for sure. Trying to look normal. Again, the performance of everything is okay. Everything is normal. That's kind of how I read that is that, you know, if she is, you know, when she is struggling with so much depression and feeling unworthy and everything, trying to like put that makeup on, you know, you paint your face, you know, you're going to start this day, have a smile on your face. Maybe that'll make you feel better, you know, and it's, it's performative. It's not real, you know, and so she tries that at first. But it's that doesn't work. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. So exactly. 
Yeah. Judith Butler would be proud. This is definitely a film that shows that performativity doesn't do anything for you. It's just no. a means for you to walk along. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah. That was really heartbreaking for me when her face is pretty much black from all of the yeah. blood vessels popped and everything. And she's putting all the black eyeliner on. I'm like, girl, you don't. Your eyelids yeah. are black. You already got it on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I this liked when she. This is necrotic. <laughs> it's exactly. necrotic. This is necrosis. <laughs> you don't need to add the black eyeliner. You're right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if there are any other points, maybe any scenes from the film or any topics that you still wanted to discuss. Uh, not necessarily. Just, you know, we get to the end of the movie and. I feel like she's done all that she can for herself. She's killed everyone, or at least the people that really brought her harm and shame yeah. and... The right people. The right people, exactly. But I just feel like the ending is very, very powerful. Like, the absolute ending. So everything is everything's happened. She can barely walk anymore. She crawls out. Her body starts decaying. She's essentially a skeleton. And But before her mandible falls off, she lets out this very primal scream and that to me is like this primal scream of female rage and we do see that a mm. couple of times as she screams she screams and breaks that mirror and, and this is the last moment where she can really just let that out because as women again we're we're not supposed to have feelings you know we're not supposed to cry or show rage and then we're crazy and hysterical and you know it's 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 really frustrating um we're not allowed to have any feelings um but she that end that just the very end of this movie I just think is very powerful. I think the movie overall really is, but the the that end scene where she's a skeleton and she lets mm -hmm. out again this big uh like primitive rage filled scream and it's and it ends and I just think it's really incredible. It is. It is. It's a very cathartic moment too. I think it's the yes. only moment of real catharsis that she has. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine yeah. even if you come to terms with decay that you would still have a semblance of, but I'm functional. So you, yeah. you still have this control over your body. So yeah. that thing that we were talking about earlier, how women, especially just, well, in any age, but, you know, especially mm -hmm. in the West, I'd say with you know, the way women's bodies are mediated uh, and controlled the way they are, mm -hmm. that you, women don't have ownership of their own bodies. And that film is showing it throughout the film and remind you at this point, I would say the most strongly because it's going through the process. Now she's trying to crawl. She's trying to like, well, I'm not ready for this. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to succumb to the fact that the, the decay has finished. Time is yeah. up. It's this doing it. its thing. And I think that scream was consciousness versus body. It's really like, mm. which one is you, you know? Ooh, and yeah. my partner had yeah. a great question as she was crawling. She said to me like, wow, she's still going. So I wonder at what point in the decay, like, what is, is her consciousness decaying at all? Or is she still there after all of this? Is this just like mm -hmm. the splitting of the two? She just try to kind of process mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting to see somebody else when you're watching this film kind of go through the yeah. same things. And I was like, oh, I hadn't even thought of it that way. But yeah, uh, that's how I feel that big scream was there at the end was just her kind of separating. Right. Yeah, because technically she doesn't have a larynx, so she wouldn't actually be able to make any sound. So mm -hmm. it's more 
metaphorical. Yes, absolutely. And I think that was very eloquently stated. Absolutely. I agree. Primal screen of catharsis. Nice. Gotta love some good catharsis, right? Yep. Love a good scream. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. (laughs) This is one of those films that, again, if you just look at the premise alone, I'm sure a lot of people will be like, man, how the hell did you talk so long on such a simple concept? Because there is a lot of this. It makes you really think about your own existence and what you would do in that situation, but also just brings up a lot of bigger questions, I feel. There's still more in in an imagery sense. You were talking about how artistic the film is, uh, Mm -hmm. but... I, you know, I don't know if we have a lot to say about these things, but, you know, for instance, you do have on the ceiling above her bed, yes. the image yep. that you have for the poster, yep. which is the, the, was it like a moldy wallpaper or like you know, grouting or yep. something that's yep. in the shape of a vagina. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And if I, am opens I Opens and it, closes at times. It, gets, it does. It opens and gets worse at times. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Say, it yep. does change throughout the film. And I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm very interested to watch it again just to see if, Yep. It's closed <laughs> at the moments that she's most closed off and opened mm-hmm. at the moments where she's actually aroused. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It is. This movie is multi-layered, multifaceted, and super wonderful. <laughs> oh, there's a blurb if I've ever heard one. That's wonderful. <laughs> that should be put on any DVD release that they get for this film. <laughs> I told wonderful. Eric, the, the the filmmaker, and I was like, I'm talking about your film again on, on <laughs> in a podcast. I'll definitely send them the link afterwards. Um, well done, Eric. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. very impressed. Love this film. There you go. I'm so glad. I'm so happy it was a first time watch for you, that you got a lot of enjoyment out of it. You saw a lot of really interesting things in it. And again, it's I come to horror movies for entertainment, and it definitely has that aspect of it, but I now can't take away this like, analytical brain that i have and so it's it is a curse and a blessing um (laughs) but yeah it is it is incredible and i will always champion this film as a you know a low budget indie underground extreme horror film it's french canadian it's very niche incredibly done and i can't wait to watch more of eric's films he just sent me a little vimeo link for one of his shorts that i'm going to watch this weekend um so i'm looking looking forward to that but i think he's a really interesting brilliant filmmaker and i just can't wait i just want to watch everything that he's done you definitely made a fan out of me i'll be looking Mm. for more of his work (laughs) as well and look forward to probably having you on to talk about him. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to. I'm becoming his biggest fan. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Excellent. Well, then, I think we can wrap things up. This podcast is sponsored by Logic Locks. Logic Locks creates and facilitates immersive real-life games for the masses. Is your company looking for an activity to do for your next team outing? Play their online game show experience, No Pants Required. Looking for a fright? Follow a curious researcher into the depths of the Amsterdam catacombs from the relative safety of your own home. Check out LogicLocks.com for more information. The Beauty of Horror is also proudly sponsored by the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. For more introspective, semi-academic, and fun podcasts like this one, be sure to check out AnatomyofaScream.com. If you're interested in more of my musings on beauty in horror or horror in general, you can follow me on Twitter, which is at underscore Shockaholic, and you can check out my website, Shockaholic.org. But dear listeners, I would like to know what your thoughts on... 
Thanatomorphos is. Ah, oh, nailed it. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on this film if you have seen it. And if you didn't see it and you just listened to it, how are, how are you feeling? Are you going to watch it? Are you going to find it? Uh, I... I challenge you all to do so. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts either on Twitter, which is at beautyhorrorpod, via email, beautyofhorrorpod at gmail.com, or maybe on Discord if you're so inclined. But for now, Kelly, thank you so much for jumping in, for being on my show and bringing in just such an experience for me. Uh, I do like these sorts of moments when somebody can really bring in something that is going to change my future in, in regards to uh, horror and, and my film discourse. So thank you for that so, so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. It was an uh, absolute delight. <laughs> very good. Delight's a good word, especially in this mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, and where can everybody find you? Where are you in the socials? And do you have anything coming up that maybe you want to plug or plug again, perhaps? Right. Uh, so you can find me through the Spinsters of Horror social media. So just search for Spinsters of Horror, either on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, yeah, you'll be able to find me through there. Um, you can check out I Spin in Your Podcast on any podcasting app. Our last episode for Women in Horror Month was on the work of Julia Durkanau. So Titan and Ra, and we even touch on her horror short Junior. So please check that out. Our next episode will be released on the last day of April, and it's Spinster's Book Club, and we're looking at Max Brooks's de-evolution. So we'll be talking about Bigfoot, cryptids, and de-evolution in the face of survival. So we're really Mm. excited about that. Uh, So yeah, check us out over there. Excellent. Sounds very exciting. And it seems like the, the body horror is in the air this season, right? Mm-hmm. I love body horror. I Again, I love weird, disgusting things. So I love body horror. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> one of mine, too. Definitely. It's probably my uh, maybe equal first or second favorite of me when it comes to genres. Uh, so mm-hmm. be sure to check out Spinsters of Horror and everything that they're doing right now. Sounds very, very exciting. And, of course, thank you, dear listeners, for talking about the uh, disgust that lurks within the horrible. Goodbye. There's no duty.